like to invite you to a soul level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guest's spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. Pete Seeger is the subject of today's Song of the Soul, and it is something of a memorial Song of the Soul, although I believe that Pete's music and Pete live on in many of us. I had a book sent to me about Pete and his music, and because I have long wanted to feature just that, and because I know so many folks who've sung, played, and performed with Pete Seeger, I decided to turn it into an extravaganza. This week and next, we'll first visit with Lita Schubert, author of Listen, about Pete. Then we'll get a hold of eight or more performers who will talk about Pete and share a song of theirs influenced by Pete, or, as I think of it, a seed sown by him. First, over to author Lita Schubert. Lita, I'm delighted to have you here today for Song of the Soul. Thank you so much for having me. It's kind of unusual. I typically have musicians on for Song of the Soul, but because you did this book about Pete Seeger called Listen, I thought it was important to talk to you. People get to have the visual and, and the word relationship to Pete, and then we're going to go on to other musicians who've met Pete and been inspired by his music. That sounds terrific. And so what was your initial connection with Pete? Well, my parents actually traveled in the same circles of, that the Weavers and Pete did in the late 40s and early 50s, but we were in Washington, D.C., and everything else was in New York. I grew up in southeast Washington. But I have been told, and I have no way to substantiate this now, that my parents started, along with others, the first interracial nursery school in Washington. And, you know, this was in the late 40s, early 50s, and Pete came to sing as a fundraiser. So from a very early age, I had that sound in my head. I had that ringing banjo, and I had the songs of social change and activism and peace. It was just there for me. I know a lot of other people went through major changes in their lives where they discovered this music, but it was always a part of my life. And you told me you grew up and are identified now as a secular Jew. Mm -hmm. So music had to be a part of your upbringing. Where did Pete filter into that process, or what music grabbed you first? Well, I went to a camp. My parents sent me off to camp when I was seven for eight weeks, and the reason was polio was rampant in the early 50s in that part of the South, which I realize Washington was now. And it wasn't good to be down there in the cities with creeks and water and everything else. And this camp was a singing camp. It was not a Jewish camp, although there were a lot of Jews there. It was multi-religious, but it wasn't religious. But it was a singing camp. And I learned to sing from a very early time. And it was also the dancing camp. 
So we learned the Israeli folk dances. We learned some Balkan folk dances. I never went to Sunday school. I never went to a synagogue. But I would say that music is my religion, more so than anything else, that it's been the most important thread in my life, always, no matter what else I've done. And just like all forms of religion, music has its denominations. Are you particularly a hip-hop music religionist? <laughs> or <laughs> I started out with people like the New Lost City Ramblers and Lead Belly and the Weavers. Then when I was a teenager and I was able to drive, I started following around, actually, the old blues singers that were being rediscovered from the South, like Mississippi John Hurt and Sun House and Reverend Gary Davis, who was not rediscovered, but who was everywhere, and played a lot of old-time music and tried to play blues on my little Martin guitar, then sort of made a huge transition in my 30s into Irish traditional music and picked up the fiddle and started hanging out with some of the greatest Irish musicians alive today, took lessons, went to music camps and took lessons from Liz Carroll and other fiddlers. I have to say there's no more fun on this planet for me than a music camp. And if I could still dance, I would go, but my knees are bad. Then, all of a sudden, about five or six years ago, I needed shoulder surgery and I couldn't play the fiddle anymore. And I went back to the guitar and found the blues again. And now I'm just completely addicted to finger-picking old country blues. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it's a funny path. And the blues just, that music just speaks to my heart and my soul in a way that nothing else does. You know, but I'm a white girl, I'm a white woman singing the blues, and that brings with it its own cultural baggage. And I'm not a good singer, but at this point in my life, I don't care anymore. So, <laughs> so yeah, some of it is very current, you know, some of it really feels like it's today. Well, the book that you've just put out, How Pete Seeger Got America Singing, Listen, and those are great big letters that listen. Yeah. You've written the words that are in here, and the pictures are by Raul Colon. Why, at this point right now, Pete Seeger? Why this book? I knew, of course, as we all did, that Pete was getting old, and I'm kind of a gloomy person at times, and I knew that someday I would turn on the radio and I would find out that Pete had died. I didn't like that idea. <laughs> and one day, sure enough, I turned on NPR in the morning, and I heard the banjo, and I knew it was Pete's banjo. And I said, oh, no. And then they said, yes, you know, Pete has died. It was 2014, end of January. And I started kind of involuntarily just weeping, and I couldn't stop. And I sort of cried for days every time I thought about it. And I played his music and listened to him and watched some interviews. And, you know, I am a writer, so before I knew what was happening, I was doing some research and starting a story. I guess it was my way of dealing with my grief, which is an odd sort of grief, to grieve for someone you never knew. And even now, when I hear his voice, I have that twinge of loss and also joy that he was around and that he did so much good with his life. I do wonder about the choice of a book to talk about someone who is primarily identified with song, with music. You've got all of this music within you, so when you write down a song, the worried man blues, right? It takes a worried man to sing a worried song. When you write down that name, I think you hear the music within you. Who did you write this book for, and are you assuming that they'll hear the songs within them at the same time they see the words? Such a good question. <laughs> it would have been a dream to have this book packaged with a CD so that people could listen to it while they were reading just those songs that are mentioned in the book. But copyright would have made that impossible. 
the costs involved and the permission involved would have been a nightmare. So I'm sorry that they can't do it. But you know, Pete is all over, and it's really easy to see him and hear him on YouTube and to back up any song you don't know by going right to YouTube. And on my website, I'm making links to some of those songs. So when I was writing it, and I thought, well, how can I tell his story without the music? So I just initially was going to put in the lyrics that were appropriate for each section of the book. So when I talked about his marriage to the wonderful Toshi, I was going to say, you know, married me a wife from Kisses Sweeter Than Wine. But I couldn't get permission for those either in time. I did get permission in the end, but it was too late. So I just put in the titles and thought, boy, if people don't know the songs, maybe they'll take the time to go learn them or look them up or listen to them or ask somebody. But they're all pretty common songs. There's nothing in there that's really unusual. His songs are very well known. And if a person reading the book doesn't know them, I would hope they would ask a friend or a relative or go online and look for them and sing them because... That's what Pete's life was all about, was social change and activism through music. So I wrote a book about Marcel Marceau, and I thought, how can I write a book about a mime when everything that the illustrator is going to have to deal with can't be seen? And I was very lucky in the artist who somehow or other made it possible to see the invisible on the page by his brilliance in drawing Marcel Marceau in action. And I thought, well, if you can do it with a mime, you can do it with a musician. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow evoke the music in the soul of the reader. Make the reader sing by reading about Pete. Folks, again, Lita mentioned that she has some connection to some of those songs on her website, litaschubert.com. There's a link on nordenspiritradio.org. Lita is L-E-D-A. Schubert is S-C-H-U-B-E-R-T.com. Just come nordenspiritradio.org, and I'll link you up there, and she'll link you to some of these songs. Every page has, I know, three or four songs at the a minimum, and including the songs that he did from the very beginning. Pete Seeger was prolific in his knowledge. I mean, his father, I think, was an archivist. He was a composer and musicologist. Musicologist, that's what I was looking for. And so Pete, one of his points of mastery is he would hear a song and he'd say, oh, that relates to that song, that song, that song. He could look over the vast expanse of music, not only in the U.S., but wider, in British Isles at least. He could see the entire history in a song, which is kind of amazing. And then he started doing music. He was doing music with the likes of Woody Guthrie at the beginning. He was part of the Almanac Singers along the way, and then the Weavers. And that's maybe where you first encountered him. Did you get to know of his music before or after he went before the House on Un-American Activities? Before. I think that Goodnight Irene and Saint It, Saint It, Saint It, their single that was a number one hit in America in 1951, I think we had that in the house because I certainly knew those songs from a very early age. And, of course, I was young enough not to realize that he was going before the House on american Activities Committee. It was probably discussed in my parents' circles. I'm quite sure it was, but I was not aware of it. But then during the period when he was blacklisted, I became aware of him because he was traveling around. He couldn't get his normal jobs anymore in famous places or radio stations or television, so he went to schools and colleges and summer camps and taught everybody his music and probably had more of an effect that way than he would have any other way. So I was aware of him by then. By 57, 58, I was learning from his banjo book. I think that's one of the instruments you didn't mention. Five-string banjo is one of your children along the way, right? Yep, yep. I played the banjo, I played the fiddle, I played backup piano, and now I play guitar. And when do you actually pull out your five-string banjo? 
Not as much as I used to. And, you know, every time I do, I say, why don't I play this more? <laughs> I love the banjo. The truth of it is that I'm not a great singer. And a lot of the time you get tired of playing just instrumental music. You want to sing. And so with the guitar, I can play more instrumental music without singing than I can on the banjo. <laughs> okay. I don't know why I say that. Because there's a lot of banjo tunes. There's tons of banjo tunes. It doesn't have anything to do with the fact that sometimes when you start playing banjo music, people kick you out of the room. <laughs> it might have something to do with that. <laughs> it's kind of amazing that Pete became as dearly beloved as he did, considering his primary instrument was the banjo. Well, he didn't play a banjo with a resonator, so it wasn't as loud as like a bluegrass banjo. Oh, okay. Well, that's the difference. <laughs> yeah, that's the difference. And again, folks, we're talking about the book, How Pete Seeger Got America Singing. Listen is the big title you want to see. It's in big orange letters, L-I-S-T-E-N, or maybe it's red letters. I'm not sure. Red to symbolize Pete's communist connection along the way. His pink <laughs> tinge, I guess. Why did you choose the title Listen? Really, what he did was to get people singing. Well, when I write, I have to look for the right voice. You know, it's not just telling a series of facts or looking things up. You have to look for a way to tell a story. Most of that is finding the right voice to tell the story. And at some point, I just thought, I want to tell this from some kind of authoritative viewpoint. I want to be the authority. And in order to be the authority, I need to tell people to pay attention, you know, to look at this, listen to this. And it's harder to tell people to sing. If I started it with sing, how Pete Seeger got America singing, like, what are they going to sing? So I'm telling them a story. So the story that I'm telling is one that I want them to listen to. But that was sort of the tone I wanted for the book. And folks, I just want to let you know the structure of the book. The first part starts with the story of Pete's life and his association with these groups and, you know, activism and the civil rights movement and his work with the Clearwater Sloop, environmental issues. It goes through all of those parts of his life and all the number of people he affected. And right after we get off the phone with Lita, I'm going to go to some other folks who've been playing music with Pete and have songs specifically inspired by Pete and by their connection with Pete. Through those interviews, we'll make live the music that Pete planted in seeds throughout so many people. But then in the book, you have your author's note. You give a little bit of your own personal history connection to Pete. And then you have a timeline. And I think that timeline is going to be really valuable for people to get the broad overview of his birth, you know, in the 1910s on up to dying at the age of 94. Such an amazing life full of so much sowing and reaping of music. Yeah, long life, long good life. And he and Toshi were married for almost 75 years, 70 years, I'm sorry. And Toshi, he said he couldn't have had his life without Toshi. She was so important in keeping that wonderful world of Pete Seeger going with everything that she did. And he said she was the brains in the family. He was definitely the brawn in the 2000, maybe it was 2004, 2006, he was at a national gathering of Quakers called Friends General Conference Gathering. He was performing, as were some other people. He normally would go out at that point in his life with someone else accompanying him. And I was amazed. There was one song that he and the other performer did a cappella, and the two of them were singing a kind of a labor song, if you will, and they were swinging anvils. <laughs> anvils and the percussion the the rhythm was kept by that so 
I don't know what he was at that point, 84, something like that. He's swinging that thing, and most people at 84 are hardly standing up, but of course he split an awful lot of wood in his life. He did, he did. And I heard a funny story that some, he was at the National Folklife Festival performing, and he kept wandering around saying, well, where's the wood to chop? <laughs> <laughs> so could you just mention, Lita, a couple of your favorite songs? And I mean, I imagine it's hard to sift out which one, depending on the day and the time of day, but just some of them that particularly have a fond place in you. Well, I think the most beautiful song in the world is The Water is Wide. So whenever he sings The Water is Wide, and he tunes his 12-string down to a drop D tuning, which really lets it ring. And it just brings me to tears. You know, one of the things about Pete was that he lost his voice, and he couldn't sing. He could still talk, but he couldn't sing very well. And it didn't matter. He could still get audiences singing. So I love that song. I love his union songs, all of which I can sing. I love Pastures of Plenty, a Woody Guthrie song. And I love Turn, 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 which he wrote himself. And, of course, you can't talk about Pete without talking about We Shall Overcome which he helped bring into the world as a civil rights anthem. The songs that he wrote, like Sailing Down My Golden River, I guess it was about the Hudson, but I think he wrote it before the Clearwater. Um, and Had I a Golden Thread. I mean, he was a great singer, great songwriter, great musician. There's so many songs of his to love. And the anti-war songs, Waist Deep in the Big Muddy, that's a great one. There's a pretty long list. <laughs> There is, and unfortunately, we wouldn't be able to include all of them in even this two-hour program today and next week. Not to mention that I'd like to talk to you about one of your other kids' books, The Princess of Borscht. But in order to not break the Pete Seeger flow, we'll put that discussion as one of several bonus excerpts for this program out on northernspiritradio.org. You can listen there to more about Lita Schubert, and right now, we'll go from talking about Lita's book, How Pete Seeker Got America Singing, main title, Listen. And remember, her website is litaschubert.com, which is also linked on the NordenSpiritRadio.org website. We're going to go from Lita to a number of musicians and their Pete Seeker-influenced songs for the remaining hour and a half of the Song of the Soul. Thank you, Lita, for getting me off my rear to finally highlight Pete's life and music, something I've had on my to-do list for years. Listen is a beautiful book, and I wish you great success with it, and in passing on the seeds of music Pete Seeker planted during his life. Thanks so much for joining me today, Lita. Thank you so much for speaking with me, Mark. I really appreciate it. So, Lita Schubert and her book for young folks got us on the road to a sing-and-talk memorial for Pete Seeger. Pete was inspiration, friend, and mentor to so many fine musicians, among them our next guest, Joe Jenks. There's a full Song of the Soul visit with Joe on northernspiritradio.org if you're interested. But right now, we'll turn to the phone to visit with Joe Jenks about Pete Seeger. Joe, it's good to have you back again for Song of the Soul. Thanks for having me, Mark. Always a pleasure to talk with you and to uh, connect with your listeners. You're back home for a little bit. I don't know that there's anybody I know of who's more hard on the road than you are. I think you wear out pavement. You probably should pay triple taxes for the amount you travel. Well, you know, I figure the Blake D. Eisenhower interstate system was built for all kinds of reasons. Carrying music of peace and justice and soul around the country seems like as good a use as any. 
Yeah, it really is amazing the amount you travel. And so, folks, when you want to get a chance to listen to Joel Jenks, after you listen to his song here today, or if you heard the Song of the Soul interview I did with him previously, you'll certainly want to see him in person. And you can track him down via his website, joejenks.com. Jenks is spelled J-E-N-C-K-S. So track him down there, you find his schedule, find where he's headed. He's going to be coming to a place near you, and he starts from the Midwest. You know, he's from Illinois. DeKalb is quite a place. Do you carry cobs of corn to give his house gifts to everyone you visit? Uh, no, no, you know, it gets awkward in the car. There's just not a lot of room between my touring gear and other things. But, you know, yeah, I'm looking out my kitchen window, and there are cornfields literally across the street from where I live. I lived in Chicago for many years, and it was a little bit of a shock to move out here, but it's a wonderful place. What makes it even more wonderful is that I have a lot of family here, so for the first time in in many years, I, I now have very deep community in a place, and that's really spectacular. Well, that's great. And in a way, I think that Pete Seeger was part of your extended family, certainly the musical family that you're a part of all over this nation. How did you connect up with Pete? When I was a kid, I was eight years old, and my sister Jean brought home a recording of Pete Seeger and Arlo Guthrie live at Carnegie Hall. And it was a fulcrum around which the line of my life bent in a new direction. It literally changed the direction of my life. And I knew not long after that that that's really what I wanted to grow up and do. And I told my parents as much, and I, I think they didn't quite get it. I don't think they quite understood that being a folk singer was a viable career. But I knew what I wanted to do, and it wasn't just about being an entertainer. They understood what an entertainer was. I don't think they understood the extent to which folk singing in the United States and Canada in particular has always been kind of the voice of the people, whatever that meant at the given time. But, you know, I was really drawn into that. I was drawn into the messages and as Pete sang songs of Victor Hara from Chile and sang songs of poets, uh, and people from Central and South America, from the Caribbean, from Africa, from Russia, from China. I began to realize that the world was this amazing and diverse state of humanity and that music was the best that I could sail out into that ocean of humanity and explore it. And I was very eager to do that from a very early age. And so it was really a joy and a delight for me that starting in 1998, the first time I met Pete, that a friendship developed between us that lasted for the better part of the years until his passing and more than 15 years. And I met him at the Seattle Folk Life Society. He was there to help inaugurate the beginning of the Seattle Labor Chorus. And I had him sign one of my guitars and had a brief conversation with him there. And in 2002, Pete Seeger and I met again at the People's Music Network. And we had the opportunity to have a two-and-a-half-hour one-on-one conversation about life and love and marriage and family and work and politics. And it was just a really wondrous time. And it was really from that conversation that the next many years of on and off dialogue continued. And, you know, Pete was friends with many, many people all over the world. So being friends with Pete's figure doesn't necessarily make me unique, but it does make me very happy. And Pete's an incredibly gracious and generous and kind man. So obviously there was a little bit of a difference between who Pete was privately and publicly in the sense that he would sort of turn the amp up to 10 when he was on stage. 
but there was it was a difference of degree, not of kind. You know, he really was fundamentally still the same person, both on and off stage, and that's something that has informed who I am as a performer and an artist. I really aspire to be largely the same person, both on and off stage. So you've written a whole lot of music yourself. I'm not sure that any of us in our short years on this planet are going to match Pete in terms of the breadth and depth of knowledge of music. But you do have some songs that particularly connect with Pete. Would you care to share one here today? Uh, yeah, this is a title track off the CD that I have just released. The disc is called Poets, Philosophers, Workers, and Wanderers. And that is a line taken from the song that I wrote on the morning that Pete Seeger passed away. Uh, our good friend Reggie Harris called me because he wanted me to know and hear the news from a friend rather than from a news report. I immediately grabbed my laptop and I went back and read Pete Seeger's testimony from 1955 before the House on American Activities Committee. And, you know, I just was really moved by the eloquence and elegance of Pete's refusal to bear false witness against other people to save himself. It was an extraordinarily courageous act. And I just really wanted to somehow quantify that in song. And so I, I read through his testimony several times and then used that as the fodder for the song. Then the line, uh, let me sing you a song about the people that I love, the poets and philosophers, the workers and the wanderers. That was the line that emerged as I was writing the song. Ultimately, it became the synopsis of the content of an entire record for me. But this is a song that really pays tribute to Pete and to his courage in that moment. What an extraordinary person he was. I wish we could all be that brave and show that much integrity. But that's what he did in the world. He held that up for and I think inspired so many people, yourself included. And folks, we're speaking with Joe Jenks as part of this memory of Pete Seeger. And we started with the book, How Pete Seeger Got America Singing. The book is Listen by Lita Schubert and uh, so many of the musicians, and I happen to have met them in the course of sharing Song of the Soul and Spirit in Action with so many different guests. So let's listen to Joel Jenks' song. Joe, I hope to have you on very soon again. I understand that your latest CD is winging its way to me now. I'll give it a good listen, and we'll talk soon. That sounds great, Mark. Thank you so much, and thanks for doing the show about Pete. Here it is. Let me sing you a song by Joe Jenks, joejenks.com, J-E-N-C-K-S is Jenks. Links on nordenspiritradio.org. You've asked me here to tell you about my neighbors and my friends, to talk about the who and what, the where and how and when. But I won't give you anything you don't already know. But if you'd like, I'll sing that list of songs before I go Let me sing you a song About the people that I love The poets and philosophers The workers and the wanderers The ones who walk the picket lines Who dare to stand and fight and the ones who hold their babies close and rock them through the night. Now you say it's un-American to do the things I do. 
Well, I sing for justice, liberty, and civil rights, it's true. But I say it's un-American to ask me how I vote, how I pray, or what I believe. But here's a song I wrote. Let me sing you a song about the people that I love. Poets and philosophers, the workers and the wanderers, the ones who walk the picket lines, who dare to stand and fight, and the ones who hold their babies close and rock them through the night. To send me to prison I guess that's the way it'll be Cause I won't give you fodder For your paranoid machine If the price of my silence is shackles Well then, fellas, take me away For I will live to sing again And rise with a brand new day Let me sing you a song About the people that I love The poets and philosophers The workers and the wanderers The ones who walk the picket lines Who dare to stand and fight And the ones who hold their babies close And rock them through the night Let me sing you a song About the people that I love Poets and philosophers, the workers and the wanderers, the ones who walk the picket lines, who dare to stand and fight, and the ones who hold their babies close and rock them through the night. Yes, the ones who hold their babies close and rock them through the night. Great song by one of Pete Seeger's many friends, Joe Jenks. That was Let Me Sing You a Song, part of a kind of memorial song of the soul for Pete Seeger. You may recall that Song of the Soul is a Northern Spirit Radio production. Find all kinds of info about us at northernspiritradio.org, including 12 years of programs, links to guests, stations that carry our programs, and the opportunity to post comments on our shows, and a beautiful, convenient donate button, an easy opportunity for you to assure the continuation of this full-time work. And if you're hearing this on one of the 30 stations carrying our programs, please remember to support them. While community radio capitalizes on a lot of volunteer energy to get out their strong local voice, they've still got bills and could use a few of your bills to keep them broadcasting. Let's go back to our memorial, Song of the Soul, for Pete Seeger. Next up is someone who had decades of music alongside Pete, 
again. Let's pick up the phone and talk to Charlie King. Charlie, it's good to talk to you again after such a long time. Yeah, it has been a while, hasn't it? It's good to hear your voice as well. Yeah, and Charlie King and Pete Seeger, I think that there's a pretty important connection. Could you tell me where you connected up with Pete Seeger? Well, I think the first and most important connection for me was back in the early 1960s when I was just getting my feet wet in the folk music field and I bought his We Shall Overcome album on Columbia Records, which is probably the most important purchase I ever made. And I just wore that album out listening to his live concert at Carnegie Hall. Since then, they've released the entire concert, and as soon as that came out, I got that too. And so he was a big musical influence right from the start, and I came from a pretty conservative right-wing background, and his songs were a real gateway for me to take a fresh look at the civil rights movement and the labor movement and the anti-war movement, all things that were considered anathema in the home that I grew up in. So he opened a lot of political doors for me. But I think the first time I performed with him would have been in 1975, It was not a memorable performance on my part or on his part either. Come to think of it, it was a kind of (laughs) frustrating venue. And uh, but there I was on a stage singing for and then singing with Pete Seeger. And shortly after that, a couple of years after that, we launched the People's Music Network, or as it was called back then, the Songs of Freedom and Struggle Network. And Pete pretty quickly got on to our train with that and was the person most responsible for having that network, which still thrives 40 years later, getting it to grow and become financially viable and well-known to people all around the country. I think the last time I sang with Pete was probably late in 2012. My partner at that time, Karen Brando, and I went up to Pete and Toshi's house and we performed a historical performance piece on the Bread and Roses Strike, which was celebrating its centenary that year. Pete and Toshi were in bed (laughs) and we just moved in a a screen and a digital projector and our voices and we sang him a a history of the Bread and Roses strike and he got up afterwards and we spent the afternoon with him and I don't really think I saw much of Pete after that. But um, certainly any time he made a recording, any time I could get to a concert, I, I will say that I always found it intimidating to perform with him because he was such a master musically and also very demanding. And uh, we had some sharp edges around that. (laughs) But my favorite singing with Pete was always being in the audience away from a microphone where maybe only three or four people would hear me and I could just experiment with harmonies and not worry about being under the microscope that probably only existed in my own mind and just to be part of Pete's orchestra, the people that willingly sang along as soon as he invited us to. Those were great experiences, and I had an opportunity to do that many, many times. You know, so many people have memorialized him at this point in the two years since his passing. You did it through a song that I think we're going to share today, Spoon of Sand. Why sand instead of something as spoonful of sugar or something? (laughs) To make the medicine go down. Well, it's all completely derivative. Pete used to tell a story of a seesaw in a neighborhood that was permanently stuck in 
one position because there was a bucket of rocks screwed onto the end of the seesaw, and at the other end was an empty bucket, and that seesaw was not going anywhere, and people had become resolved to the fact that it was never going to be a plaything and it was never going to be used. But every once in a while, someone would come by, as Pete would tell the story, and drop a spoonful of sand into the empty basket. And eventually, that seesaw shifted when that last spoon of sand that tipped the balance was dropped into the basket. The seesaw creaked to the different position, and people saw that change was possible. And I think that was a very important story to Pete. He tells it at the end of his book, Where Have All the Flowers Gone?, It's his way of saying that change comes about and history is made by millions of people taking small, creative, courageous steps. So that's where the spoon of sand comes from. And the rest of that chorus are just lines that I learned from Pete. He taught us the song, uh, Step by Step, The Longest March Can Be One, Drops of Water, Turn a Mill, Singly None. So that's where the second line comes from. The third line in the chorus, way out here over the rainbow, I actually now know I have to correct when I sing it, and it's because you uh, had tipped me off that we might be having this conversation. I looked the song up, and it's actually way out there. I was fooled by the last line in the song that says way out here. But uh, Pete used to love to sing this yodeling song about being out in the desert. So I just pictured him way out there over the rainbow, which is a song that he came to sing in the later years of his life and changed the lyrics somewhat, but he was very fond of that song from The Wizard of Oz. So I saw him standing out there over the rainbow still singing. And not to mention his song Rainbow Race, of course. Well, you can mention it, but that was not my mind. I'm glad you bring it up. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows where all these connections come from. But if you go on through the song, there are lots of references to the songs that he wrote, also about his work to clean up the Hudson River uh, with the Sloop Clearwater. Who knew that would work? You know, you live on this terribly polluted river and you think, maybe we'll go to Maine and we'll make a Hudson River Sloop and we'll sail it up and down until the river runs clear. And he was a creative genius for work like that. So the entire song is based either on the songs he taught us or the lessons he taught us or the life he lived. You know, it's always darkest before the dawn, but some things keep me moving on. So quite early morning, that's an image that also runs through the song. So I was asked to sing at a memorial event for Pete probably four or five months after he died. It was organized by the New York City Sloop Club that had worked with him on cleaning up the Hudson, and they asked to sing songs we'd learned from Pete and songs that were inspired by Pete, and so I wrote this for that occasion. And who is the background voices and the accompaniment that you have on the song? Well, the primary backup voice is Annie Patterson, and after that, I'd have to pull out the liner notes, uh, Reggie Harris, plays guitar and I believe sings a harmony on it, but uh, I think that the voice that comes through strongest of all is Annie Patterson. Rick Burkhart may have a harmony in there too. I'm, I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and look at my studio notes. Well, we're going to listen to Spoon of Sand by Charlie King right now. Charlie, thanks for talking to me now. I'm squeezing this in. I know there's a lot going on in your schedule. I do hope I can have you back on my program in the very, very near future. And in the meantime, thank you for passing on all these seeds that Pete Seeger planted. Here it is, folks. Spoon of Sand by Charlie King. Thanks, Charlie. Thank you. Spoon of Sand 
and tip the balance Drops of water Turn the mill Way out here Over the rainbow Someone standing Singing still You weathered the storm You finished the race We see by the weary Smile upon your face You've stumbled and risen You sang up the dawn You kindled the fire You carried the torch You're passing it on Spoon of sand Can tip the balance Drops of water Turn a mill Way out here Over the rainbow Someone standing Singing still Dark clouds on the mountain Dead fish on the shore The bottom line banker Vultures of war You turn and you face them And when push comes to shove Somehow you believe hate has to surrender Surrounded by love Spoon of sand And tip the balance Drops of water Charted the waters Saw the river run clear You raised the sail When we thought the journey would end in despair At the darkest hour On the edge of the dawn You caught the first light You gave us the vision To carry it on Spoon of sand Tip the balance Drop some water Turn a mill Way out here Over the rainbow Someone standing Singing still Way out here Over the rainbow Someone standing, singing still. Charlie King's song for Pete Seeger called Spoon of Sand. Charlie's on a few Norton Spirit Radio programs. Check them out and enjoy them and learn from them. But we're going to charge straight on into one more Pete Seeger collaborator and friend for today and several more next week. Our last phone call for today goes out to Pat LaManna. 
Pat, how delightful to be back with you after, what, three years now? It's good to talk to you, Mark. Thank you for inviting me. Well, and in between, even though we haven't talked, you sent me your version of Turn Your Radio On. So if people go via our YouTube channel for Northern Spirit Radio, they'll see a little slideshow I have of you performing that. Anyway, thank you for doing that and adding to our repertoire there. It was fun. And today we have you back to remember Pete Seeger. When did you first have contact with Pete's music? Well, I went to a summer camp when I was seven and a half. And it was one of those that Pete would visit every summer. I may very well have seen him earlier than that, but um, that's what I remember anyway. So just about literally my whole life, I've seen him and had contact with him. Now, he didn't really meet me until quite a bit later than that. When I moved to Poughkeepsie, New York, which is about half an hour or so north of Beacon, where he lived, we would go to a peace vigil every Saturday for several years. And we would talk, and I got to know him a little bit there, and also at the Beacon Sloop Club, which um, he helped to found. And he would generally be there every, I think it's the first Friday of the month. And they had song circles, so I got to know him a little bit, or I should say he got to know me a little bit there, because I feel like I've known him all my life. You know, I don't know how close his home was to Poughkeepsie or how long he lived in that area. All I remember, when I was in Poughkeepsie, I don't know what it was, 15 years ago or something, went to the Quaker meeting there, and one of the older members of the meeting told me that Pete used to bring his kids to the Quaker meeting to go to first day school, our version of Sunday school back then. Pete wouldn't go to meeting for worship, but he'd drop the kids off for first day school. (laughs) Maybe he figured that Quakers would do less damage than other religions. I don't know. (laughs) Well, he, he has connections with ethical culture and also with Unitarianism. I think it was a great-grandfather of his who was a Unitarian and an abolitionist, and he's rather proud of that. I'm a Unitarian, so I can brag about that. And you've written a couple songs relative to him. One we're not going to listen to today was called It Should Have Been Pete. Why don't you just mention what that is, since we're not going to listen to it? Well, it was inspired the morning that I woke up to the news that President Obama had been awarded the Nobel Peace Prize very early in his presidency. And um, actually, if people are interested, they can go to YouTube and they can type in the search field, it should have been Pete, and it'll come up. And I think there I'm singing it at a meeting of the Beacon Sloop Club. But um, anyways, if they're interested, they can get it that way. And unfortunately, he never did get the Nobel Peace Prize, although he certainly did a lifetime worth of work. But the song that you did choose to include today to share for this song of the soul relative to Pete Seeger is? Well, it's called Keep Him Singing. And that's one that I actually wrote after I moved to Poughkeepsie, but only a couple of years after I moved to Poughkeepsie. And so I still hadn't actually met Pete um, face-to-face, but I was still very much enamored of his work and always was a tremendous admirer of his. And at that time, the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship was lay-led, so we didn't have a minister, and they had to come up with a program every week for the service. And I volunteered to put together a service about Pete, which I actually still do. If there's any UUs out there, they can contact me. I'd be glad to do it for them. But I put together a service which involved singing a lot of his songs. And then this song, it occurred to me to write a song about him. And the reason I called it Keep Him Singing is because when I think of Pete, I think of his appearance before the House on American Activities Committee in 1955 when I was quite young. But it was a few years later in 62 that his appeal was heard of his conviction 
of contempt of Congress because he refused to answer their questions. Unlike certain people who got before Congress today and refused to answer questions and was not held <laughs> in contempt. So I decided to do this service about Pete. And I called it Keep Him Singing because in 1962, when his appeal was being heard, people wore buttons saying Keep Him Singing. And so when I think of Pete, I just always think of that phrase. It just so happens that the service that I put together was put on on May 3rd, 1989, which I didn't know was his 70th birthday, but somebody had read about it in the Poughkeepsie Journal that morning and told me, did I know that today was Pete's 70th birthday? And no, I did not. But it was kind of a wonderful coincidence that that happened to be the day that I put on that service. And did you ever share that song with him? You know, I um, much later, I did get to know him. And one of the occasions when we saw each other, I handed him a CD that had the song on it. And he wrote back a lovely postcard, which, of course, is framed and hanging on my wall. And one of the things that it says is, you should write more songs. Even the one about me was good, though it didn't mention any of my faults, parentheses, many. <laughs> That's what he had to say about that song. Now, what he had to say about it should have been Pete, because I never wanted to sing it for him, and he would not have wanted me to sing it to him, but a friend had heard it and insisted that I sing it to him. So as I was singing it, I noticed that he was starting to pick away on his banjo, and he was like playing along, and then when it was over, he said, I have to admit, it's a good song. Uh, what a delightful guy. He really was. I, I fortunately had a few opportunities to see him in person, never actually talked to him, but so honored to have him part of our world. And I'm glad that you captured him in song. So folks, we're going to listen in a moment to Pat Lamana's version of a song uh, that she wrote called Keep Him Singing. It's from her Full Circle CD. You can track that down on patlamana.com. That's correct. L-A-M-A-N-N-A. Many people don't spell it quite right. Yeah, patlamana.com. There's a link on nordenspiritradio.org. Here is Keep Him Singing by Pat Lamana. Thanks so much, Pat. Oh, it was a pleasure, Mark. Thank you. Keep Him Singing. Keep Him Singing. Keep Him Singing. Keep that old guitar and banjo ringing. And folks singing have earned him much fame And I'll tell you a story about the life that he's led The road he has taken, few may dare to tread So keep him singing, keep him singing Keep that old guitar and banjo ringing and TV band But still he never wavered From the course he felt was right He kept his light shining Like a beacon in the night So keep him singing Keep him singing Keep that old guitar And banjo ringing 
singing among the four people remembering and celebrating Pete Seeger here today for Song of the Soul. But come back next week for another hour of Pete Seeger treasures and harvest through Pete's numerous friends. We'll see you next week for part two of Song of the Soul for Pete Seeger. The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org. And I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can be happy.